You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. everybody buongiorno buenos dias ni hao and konnichiwa motherfuckers thank you for tuning in to the abacabo cafe podcast this is the kimagure Road podcast on the whole internet i'm your host jason alme i appreciate you joining me today as we discuss television episode 13 everyone is looking shikaru chan's super transformation this episode originally aired june 29th of 1987 it was directed by Shimbayashi Minoru, who previously directed episode eight, uh, entitled You're Smiling a Shutter Chance at the Beach. As with that episode, there's some depiction of, of Shikaru appealing to Kasuga. He notices Shikaru in this episode, uh, much as with, with that episode, he notices her cuteness a little bit more. He pays her a little bit more attention because she stands out to him a little bit in both this episode and that one. So there's a, a common thread that Shimbayashi is picking up on. And part of that common thread is that Shimbayashi portrays Kasuga as aware of his own hypocrisy. He wants to be with Ayukawa, but he's also sometimes drawn to Shikaru in, in moments like, like what we see in this episode. And, and Kasuga understands that it's unfair to both of these women, that he's being a hypocrite and yet for whatever reason, he's young, he's inexperienced, he can't help himself. This is how he learns. Today's episode was written by Ohashi Yukiyoshi, and this is Ohashi's first episode, but Ohashi will be back writing for some notable episodes in the future uh, that we're going to talk about. We'll talk about Ohashi's contribution to some episodes down the line. We open with this kind of volunteer, this kind of volunteer day where like everyone's forced to volunteer, which is kind of the the funny irony that we start with. These students being pushed to show their volunteer spirit, I'm making hand quotes, 
it's like the opposite of volunteering. It's like being forced to volunteer. They're they're essentially being conscripted into this into this service, and I do think that that's meant to be a, a slight source of comedy and maybe a little bit uh, like ring true for the Japanese audience. Uh, maybe not so much the U.S. audience. I think if you're being forced to clean something up in the United States, it's probably because life went wrong for you after high school and you're in some low security prison and you're cleaning up stuff by the side of the highway. During this scene, of course, we get this reveal of Shikaru's transformation, which occurs off screen. Her, her transformation, her decision to make this transformation occurs uh, prior to this episode's beginning. And so we're only shown Shikaru in part. First, her feet. It shows us that she's wearing these kind of stylish heels that are also very strappy. Um, they, they don't look like the right thing to wear for like outdoor volunteering. We see her feet, her legs, and then we, we cut to some other stuff going on. Some guys noticing her, we cut back to her, but we see this time her butt, her waist. So it's very much avoiding, the filmmakers are very much avoiding showing her face to make this kind of a, a reveal moment. But on the other hand, they're like showing the, like the legs and the butt and the waist of a character that's supposed to be like 14 years old. So that's like a little bit weird too. Like if this was a 20 year old, it, it sort of makes sense. It's kind of a, this jaw dropping moment, but it's like, she's 14. I think she's like 14, something like that. Um, she's kind of young. I mean, it's, it's other people, her age that are, that are sexualizing her, but, but by directing us to her body, these filmmakers simulate the gaze of the male students that are looking on as she, as she approaches. It also really implies that they see Shikaru in this moment as a sexual object. The focus is on her body, right? It's on her hips. It's on her butt. It's on her legs. The focus is squarely put on her, her physical attributes that are sexually attractive to her classmates. And so her, her transformation actually goes so far as to make her unrecognizable to her classmates. Most importantly, even Kasuga doesn't initially recognize her, which honestly, Shikaru handles pretty well. I would think that, you know, you ought to at least recognize this girl is trying to date you for the last eight weeks or whatever, 10 weeks. She handles it pretty well that he doesn't initially recognize her, although uh, he won't be so lucky later in the episode when he mistakes her for someone else. Now, her look is mad 80s. It's wild 80s. The, the costume that they have her depicted in is something that you'd see um, on Madonna or Cyndi Lauper or something like that from some uh, 80s, like high 80s couture. This is like mad 80s dress. And I don't, I mean, it, watching it now 30 years later, it almost seems satirical of the time because it's like so dialed up to 11. It's this like exaggeration of this 80s style. But given that this originally uh, debuted, this episode was originally broadcast in 1987, I, I do wonder if contemporary viewers did not have that same impression of Shikaru's dress, that um, maybe they they also thought it was exaggerated. It was hyperbolic kind of um, pop attire, but at least to the eyes, the fresh eyes of 1987, it wouldn't have seemed as out of place as it does today. Like, wow, that's super 80s. She looks like somebody, like we, you would dress that way for like a costume party these days for Halloween or something. If you were dressing up as Cindy Lauper, you would put on what Shikaru is wearing in this episode. So everybody like wants to get like immediately all these male students like want to give her their trash is kind of a funny 
it's kind of a funny way of like um, demonstrating value. Like, hey, date me. Here's a bag full of garbage. But the the, the filmmakers want to show us immediately that uh, Shikado's transformation is going to have some unintended consequences for her. Some things that she didn't necessarily think about when she was making this transformation are going to come to pass. She's going to run into impediments that she didn't uh, intend or anticipate. Now, not present among the throng of garbage teenagers is Kasuga. He takes this opportunity to retreat and kind of ponder the meaning of Shikaru's transformation. He really seems like he's initially kind of put off by this transformation. It's not as appealing to him as it is to classmates and notably Komatsu and Hata. They like forget about the twins this episode and they're all about Shikaru here. For Kasuga, it's more like he wants to retreat from this a little bit and he wants to kind of get his mind around it. He's wondering what's going on here. And this is where Ayukawa meets up with him and you know, she's costumed rather rather plainly. I mean, compared to compared to Shikaru, uh, Ayukawa's costume in this scene is much more appropriate for outdoor volunteer activity than like a skirt and heels. It, I think it's also meant to remind us that we don't view Ayukawa as any less mature or sophisticated because she's not dressed in the Cindy Lauper costume. We 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 understand that Ayukawa is still like this sort of mature and almost aloof character. Her sophistication comes from within. It's not an outfit. It's not a costume that she puts on. So this is something that's going to get repeated in the episode. Um, a few minutes later at Abakabu when she's working, Master even states it explicitly for the audience. He says that she doesn't have to try. It's something that she exudes naturally. It's just something about her. It's a quality that that is is uh, inherent within her, and that's not necessarily good news to Ayukawa at that time. Like Masters clearly trying to boost her up in that moment, but she doesn't really seem to be enjoying it as much until he says, "You know, you're always adorable in my eyes." So that becomes like a more fatherly thing. He's not just saying, "Well, all the guys think you're sexy." He's saying, "Well." There are men out there, including myself, who look on you in a certain way that's unsexualized. I'm going to pick up that thread again in a few minutes. But back to the back to the scene between Kasuga and Ayukawa here, where she gives him the the soda. Um, as Kasuga and Ayukawa chat, the camera cuts away to the silhouette of a man and a woman in a rowboat. The man's rowing, the woman's sitting back. Perhaps they're on a date. I, I think maybe this is meant to recall the rolling first date episode. It's to remind us that it's good weather and they're right near a body of water. But but I think it's also kind of meant to uh, harken back to uh, Kasuga and Ayuko is a little bit more uh, effortless rapport with each other that Ayuko really doesn't have to put on a costume and, 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 and transform herself in the way that Shikaru did in this episode to gain Kasuga's attention. And um, I think that's a little bit of a reminder of that, that she's always going to captivate him regardless, and that he's always going to feel this pull away from Shikaru and towards her, which is an important aspect of that rolling first date episode. He was supposed to be on a date with Shikaru, as you all remember, but he accidentally got there early and then accidentally went for a boat ride and then accidentally bumped into Ayukawa. And Shikaru was the furthest thing from his mind at that point. And you know, I think here there's, they're they're trying to remind us that that Ayukawa has this magnetism for him that's not just about this like external costuming. 
Ayukawa does spell it out for the audience here a little bit at the very beginning of the episode. She lets us know, she lets Kasuga know that Shikaru is doing this to try to get Kasuga's attention. It's, it's about getting him to look at her. Yusaku stumbles in, in surprise when he sees Shikaru. Almost falls into the water, but she grabs him uh, just in the nick of time. And then he like uh, he blushes and he kind of smiles like uh, an idiot. And he almost appears to be turned on here for a moment. And then she's just like, you idiot, and tosses him in. He falls into the, the, the water finally. But importantly, as she's walking away, she tells him not to pretend to be turned on like the others. She's aware of everyone else's reaction to her, and she objects to Yusaku reacting in a similar fashion. Is Shikaru consciously aware that Yusaku's not really attracted to women? Does Shikaru know that Yusaku's not like the other men in that sense, in the sexual sense, in, in terms of his orientation and, and, and the types of um, people that Yusaku is attracted to. I think this might be a slight acknowledgement that, that Shikaru is at, at some level consciously aware that, that Yusaku really is not about uh, that heterosexual life and that that's who he is. And I think that doesn't necessarily impede Shikaru's overall uh, relationship with Yusaku. I mean, she's not judging him for what she perceives to be his sexuality. And I think Shikaru is right. And uh, it would also explain Shikaru's overall relative comfort when she's alone with Yusaku, when they when they get split up, when whenever they do that thing where they kind of split the foursome up, but for whatever reason, they put the people who aren't uh, dating on paper together, like Yusaku has to go with Shikaru and, and Kasuga has to go with Ayukua. And, and it doesn't make any sense that the two people that are ostensibly dating would not go together and Yusaku wouldn't always be forced to go with Ayukua. But there's oftentimes, like in the last episode when they went to explore the city, Kasuga winds up breaking off from Yusaku and Shikaru. And that's not a problem for Shikaru. Like she doesn't feel uncomfortable being left with Yusaku, and it, it would explain her relative comfort if she has this knowledge that he's really not into women. And it makes sense given some of the later stuff that we find out in this episode about, about Yusaku as well. So I'll mention that more in another second. But Kasuga's hypocrisy is revealed when he invites Shikaru to the concert that he'd actually originally planned to bring Ayukawa to. Uh, originally, he had thought of Ayukawa immediately when, when his father gives him the tickets and, um, and instructs him to invite a girl that he likes. So he immediately thinks of Ayukawa, but then he sees Shikaru, and he understands he's not being fair to the girls in this instance, but he he's going to proceed anyway to invite Shikaru to go with him to see the concert. Now, the band is called Bobson, B-O-B-S-O-N, which I, for whatever reason, always reminded me of the band Boston, which had tremendous success in the 80s with their third album, uh, called Third Stage. That album was certified uh, four times platinum, so it was a, a massive sales machine for them. And and they were tremendously on the map during the 1980s, the mid to late 1980s, about the time when this is being uh, produced. So it, it's altogether possible that, that that was kind of a, I don't know, like a, they do that a lot, like last episode with the uh, Asia in place of the Orient on the watch face. So things like that where they're kind of acknowledging real-life manufacturers and brands and even bands and entertainers, but they're kind of switching things around a little bit to make it maybe not quite as obvious, a little tongue-in-cheek, and maybe also possibly uh, avoid 
some kind of uh, cease and desist lawsuit or something like that, where they're they're like utilizing likenesses that they don't have the rights to. So I don't know if that's an outright uh, reference to the band Boston, but Bobson, it just feels kind of close. The date on the ticket says July 5th, 1987. So we understand that the concert scene is not occurring right on the air date. The air date of this episode is June 29th of 1987. And the uh, the concert scene and then all of the subsequent scenes for the rest of the episode, they take place on July 5th, 1987. So we, we know that these episodes are contemporaneous, but they don't always occur like right on the date of the, of the premiere. But um, the events that transpire are still occurring prior to the date of the next episode, which is July 6th, I believe. Um, one, of my, one of the highlights for me this episode is Yusaku's naivety with regard to women. Uh, that could be the best part of this episode. Like Komatsu and Hata practically have to draw a diagram of a menstrual cycle for him to for him to get it. He's like Snow White. They watched Snow White. No doofus. They watched a video and it was about female reproductive system and what type of changes they might be going through in puberty and stuff. They gotta like spell this whole thing out for him. He doesn't get it at all. But it, what it really shows here is that he's he's not very interested in women in general. He's very obtuse and he's very just willfully ignorant of like women in general. So he fixates on Shikaru, I think, as a cover, of course, for his his more uh, deep and abiding love for Kasuga, but his fixation on Shikaru doesn't doesn't come with it any connection to like an interest in women in general. Um, he's not interested in, in in like that sexual stuff, and and that's demonstrated as I mentioned a, a few minutes earlier. You know, there's a reason why Shikaru feels safe with Yusaku. Komatsu asks Yusaku, "Have you gotten anywhere with Shikaru? You've known her all these years, and despite." Having known her for all those years, Yusaku has to admit, of course, he hasn't he hasn't gotten anywhere with her. He hasn't even tried. That's the thing. I mean, she probably wouldn't let him, right? Shikaru dominates Yusaku physically. Maybe that's another reason why she's not really afraid of spending time with him alone. She just presumes that she'd be able to whoop his ass. She's like the only person in this whole town that could whoop Yusaku's ass. And that's mostly because she's, it's not because she's able to overpower him. It's because she's been physically dominating him since he was a child. And, and so she's larger than life in his mind. I mean, she just whip his ass just psychologically alone, but he, he hasn't even tried. And I mean, I think part of that is as much as he loves her, he's afraid of her too. He fears her. I mean, he, she's the only character in this whole show that can force him to cower by looking at him by scolding him by raising her voice or even like raising her hand like she's going to strike him i mean he cowers for her in a way that he doesn't fear anyone else and so you know he may even have an aversion to women based on his childhood treatment of shikaru he may feel more comfortable in the company of men like his karate club kasuga i mean he's he's much more comfortable i think in these um same sex type of situations, and that's because of his orientation. And I, I think it's further proof that uh, Yusaku, his his disinterest in women in general, is further proof that that you know he's he he loves Kasuga. I think we're really nailing it these last several episodes. Yusaku loves Kasuga. I'm going to be able to rest my case pretty soon. 
Now there's a there's a comedic moment where uh, Kurumi is inspired to transform herself as well. It's kind of the subplot of of Kurumi being inspired by Shikaru's transformation. She wants to do it herself. She seems to resent a little bit that Shikaru is getting all of the attention from the classmates at school. She's kind of like, I'll show them, you know. They're talking about Shikaru, but wait till they get a load of me. So there seems to be a little bit of this comparison going on here. And that's kind of the subplot of like, will dad, will will Kasuga Takashi, will he completely kill you for trying to do what Shikaru is doing and coming out and doing this transformation? Um, because it runs contrary to these kind of conservative, older generational views. And, and so... This episode as a subplot does kind of feature that uh, frequent subplot of Kurumi butting her head up against the mores of of the previous generation and wanting very much to be free of that yoke. Manami embodies that uh, that here, where where oftentimes it's Kasuga embodying that, but but here Manami reminds Kurumi twice that. Takashi is not going to like this at all, and he's not going to be for this transformation. And Kurumi does it anyway. And it's, you know, it's kind of clear that maybe she's not ready for it either. She paints her face up, and she looks almost more like a clown. I mean, it doesn't. The the animators make it very clear that she's not successful in making herself look mature and older and sexy like Shikaru was able to do. That she looks clownish, and and Takashi says as much. He tells her to quit finger painting herself and. It makes her seem childish and young and sort of co- runs contrary to what she's attempting. And so she's, uh, again, she exerts her her use of ESP power over her father. She crushes him with the furniture. And her thirst for the tears of her family remains unslaked even after crushing her father. She then turns her sadistic eye to Jingoro. And um, it's clear from her efforts on Jingoro and herself that she's more like a kid playing dress up than Shikaru is. Shikaru is a little bit out of her depth as well, as we'll see in this episode, but Shikaru is making an honest go of it. Kurumi really seems like she's having fun at home in the evenings, uh, just goofing off in the way that she makes Jingoro look and, and how horrified he gets. And the whole scene is supposed to be this comedic scene, but then it also is meant to show that uh, Kurumi wants to evolve in this way as well, and that it may be a natural trajectory for a lot of teenagers both male and female, to emulate their older peers and young adults and in trying to advance their own maturity. And that there is going to be an older generation here, as represented by Kasuga Takashi, who who object to it for those uh, social mores that we're kind of all familiar with. Now, of course, Kasuga winds up asking Shikaru to the concert. This is the first and possibly the only time in this series that he's ever depicted as asking her out. Shikaru says as much. Shikaru realizes in this episode that she is uh, the driver in their relationship. It's painfully obvious in the back half of this episode that she realizes she's driving their relationship. Kasuga's lack of reciprocation over the course of the series will be highlighted later, but it's important that Shikaru notices it now. Of course, at the concert, we get another really great insert song. We've gotten a couple of these lately. It's been pretty nice. It's just that time in the series where they can bring in some insert songs, kind of get our feet tapping a little bit. It also gives them an opportunity to have a little kind of a music video inside the, the episode. 
I think it makes the lift a little easier for them. I mean, of course, you still have to animate things. They animated the lights on the stage as well as the hands of the person playing the keyboards as moving in in sync with the music. So uh, kudos to the animators for, for getting that right, making it actually appear as if the stage show is, I mean, they're playing this song. Um, I didn't want to step on Subokura Yukio here. This is a song Breaking Heart, if you guys want to go check this out on um, YouTube. And so it's a little bit of a light lift for them, though. They don't have dialogue. They can kind of cut around uh, back and forth between events. Um, the, the narrative can become a little bit more loose like a music video here uh, as this is playing. But they're, they're still working hard on the animation. Again, they were syncing things up. That tells you that as they were animating this, they knew what song was going to go there. You have to know what song you're going to put in if you're going to have the cuts and the animation working in time with the music. So, so props to them for this particular um, part of, the, of the, the episode. It was probably one of the technically tougher aspects of the, the animation of this episode. I mean, really what this episode is about, at the end of it, it's this common theme that we've already seen Casca dealing with here a lot and that's attempting to look like you are or attempting to seem like you are something other than you than you are something that you're not you're trying to be more mature than you are you're you're trying to project this air of maturity and sophistication we see that with Shikaru's attempting to look more grown up and more sexy and more sophisticated she's equating this kind of sexualized this sexualized imagery of herself, this sort of Cindy Lauper, Madonna 80s costume where she's wearing the skirt and she's wearing these heels and she's wearing clothing that's meant to accentuate her physical form and and this sexiness and this, this sex appeal as being adult. But I think we adults know that it's being an adult is not about looking sexy. It's not about uh, putting yourself out there like that physically. There are plenty of adults who don't. It's sort of a, an indicator of, of Shikaru's naivety towards what it means to be mature and adult. It kind of shows you that she's not ready. Uh, it parallels some of Kasuga's own ongoing struggles with projecting a mature, sophisticated image. I mean, Kasuga doesn't want to be looked at as a kid, especially by Ayukawa. He wants to attract Ayukawa. He wants to prove that he's uh, worthy of Ayukawa, that he he's a good match for her. He doesn't want to seem like some kid. So what what this is telling us is that this isn't just something that Casca deals with. This is something that everybody deals with to some degree, particularly at this age. And it's about how we're viewed. As much as Shikaru wants this mature, sophisticated uh, aura, she wants to receive the kind of attention that Ayukawa gets. Her her comment um, later in the episode that Ayukawa's clothes feel kind of big on her. It's an acknowledgement that this look doesn't fit her in a figurative sense, as well as like literally the clothing is too big. It might also be a subtle gag that Ayukawa has bigger breasts than Shikaru. She's like literally more grown because Shikaru like looks down her shirt as she says this. She kind of like peeks down the front of, of the Ayukawa's shirt that she's wearing at that moment. And she's like, well, it's a little big on me. And I think part of that is meant as acknowledgement that like Ayukawa is more 
full-figured. Uh, but Aikwa is a little bit older too, and this is a, a crucial age where people do a lot of growing in a relatively short amount of time. So that may also just be an indicator that Shikaru's not quite ready for this level of maturity yet. And that's what we're going to learn by the end of the episode. This episode is also a tale of unintended consequences. So we see a lot of unintended consequences play out in this in this uh, episode, most of which are are based around Shikaru's transformation. There, there are consequences that hit Shikaru that she wasn't anticipating. First of all, Shikaru's attention-seeking is not limited to Kasuga. So she succeeded in getting Kasuga's attention. He invited her to the concert that he was going to take Ayukawa to. That's a big W in, in Shikaru's favor. But she also attracts the attention of all her other male classmates. All the boys in the school are clamoring for Shikaru's attention to such a degree that they actually become an impediment from her getting closer to Kasuga in several scenes. She's surrounded by this throng of male admirers that actually buffer between her and Kasuga and kind of keep Kasuga away, both both literally by being between him and her physically, but then also kind of figuratively, like at the beginning where he kind of wanders off to go think about what she's doing and what she's trying to accomplish. Um, and, and so it kind of pushes him away in that sense as well. Uh, the, another unintended consequence is that Yusaku assumes that she and Kasuga are having sex, which of course drives him mad because he doesn't want Kasuga having sex with anybody that's not him. I mean, Shikaru, did I say Kasuga? I keep doing that. No, uh, Yusaku, of course, hates the idea of Kasuga and Shikaru being intimate physically. And so he's worried about Kasuga's future, and he wants he wants to have a future with Kasuga. And if Kasuga is busy knocking up Shikaru as he fears in this episode, and they're having children at fifteen or whatever, then uh, that's the death knell for Yusaku and Kasuga. I mean, how are they ever going to surmount that? How is their love ever going to prevail? Now, Kasuga also mistakenly calls Shikaru Ayukawa at a pivotal moment, our kind of climax of the episode. Uh, begins when when Kasuga mistakenly calls Shikaru Ayukawa. That is another unintended consequence made real by Shikaru's uh, transformation here. This moment gives a little context for Shikaru always knowing, as she says in Anoshi, so possible there too, uh, that this is kind of providing a plausibility to that statement that that she's going to make much later on in the in the series. But I mean, really what she's doing is she's jacking Ayukawa's swag here. She's modeling herself a bit too closely on Ayukawa. And so she has to accept here that it's it's not her in, in the figurative sense. Like it's not, she's not Ayukawa. This look is not befitting of her, Shikaru. And so th- that cognitive dissonance, I think, is is one of the things that sort of upsets her in this scene. But given the fact that we follow her into the bathroom to witness her crying, you can also say without a shadow of a doubt that she's hurt that he called her by the wrong name. She's hurt that he called her Ayukawa. Part of the lesson is that it's not really her style, that by by emulating Ayukawa too closely, whatever qualities about her that Kasuga likes and that these other boys are attracted to, it's not her. So she decides that she would rather be herself even if it means being a little bit less appealing to Kasuga and, and definitely less appealing to the rest of the school, then she would rather continue with her mature look because she knows that with the mature look, 
that's not really her that they're attracted to. They're attracted to some idea of a feminine sexuality that's perpetuated by the media because, of course, she's dressed just like we would imagine Madonna or Cindy Lauper to have been dressed like in the 80s. They're not attracted to her, who she is. At, at best, they're attracted to her, her, her physique, which is a little bit more um, on display in that attire. But again, they're, they're not wanting her for who she is. They're, they're, they're wanting this kind of sexualized version of her or this, this sort of sexual ideal. And it's more about uh, their gratification than about any type of meaningful interaction or relationship with her. So ultimately, she does make the wise decision here to resume the old kind of cute, kind of girl next door, kind of bubbly Shikaru versus this uh, sort of like sex kitten Shikaru she's trying to be in this episode. So when Shikaru leaves the bathroom uh, at the concert, she is animated uh, in this moment and henceforth throughout the rest of the episode sans makeup. She loses the eyeshadow and the the um, lip gloss here or the lipstick here. And she was likely filling the sink up to wash it off. She may have had the water on in the sink too just to kind of mask the sound of her her uh, quietly sobbing. But then the, the, the animation here, when she comes out and when she exits the bathroom, it's a visual cue too. It's not meant to be like this overt, I washed all my makeup off because I'm pissed thing, but it's, it's also meant to be this subtle visual cue that tells us that she's kind of given up the facade. She's back to normal, the, the good old Shikaru that we knew for the past 12 episodes. I think importantly with this episode too, that gives this episode a little bit of additional meaning is that Ayukawa is also trying on another look as well. Despite having her effortless air of maturity that other uh, characters either seem to idolize or envy, like Kasuga and Shikaru, uh, there's a moment in the episode uh, somewhat early on. Ayukawa is at home. She's alone, probably. Uh, and it's like she's cosplaying as Manami. She's got the glasses. She, like, pretend pulls her hair back like Manami usually wears. It's obvious she's just kind of having fun and enjoying this look. It's not, she's not doing something to try to attract a man or impress men or get male attention. She's just kind of like doing something for her. And she must be a little bit shy about it because she ditches the glasses and oddly her pants to open the door for Shikaru. And I'm just sitting here wondering like, what if there had been somebody else with Shikaru? Like what if Kasuga had been there and she answers the door with no pants on? I mean, just because it's Shikaru doesn't mean there's not somebody else, Yusaku or somebody kind of tailing her this episode. And like, you're going to answer the door in your panties. I, it's cause she was shy about it. it has to be because she was shy about that particular look. And she wasn't, she wasn't as willing as Shikaru to be like open about it. But then I think Part of it also was to demonstrate that um, Shikaru notices Ayukawa's effortless sexy. So once Ayukawa opens the door, we get a, a shot from Shikaru's point of view as she notices Ayukawa. She notices what she's wearing. She notices she's not wearing a whole lot. She's just kind of wearing this button-up shirt. It looks like when my wife throws on one of my button-up shirts or something like that. It's like, you know, the next morning type of thing. You throw on the guy's button-up shirt to make pancakes or whatever, and it looks super cute. And 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 Shikaru notices this. So Shikaru is like uh, impressed by this, this uh, sort of like uh, sexy, kind of mature, uh, sophisticated aura that that um, Ayukawa seems to have 
effortlessly. I mean, it's not like she's trying. She just, all she did was take her pants off and then answer the door. It's meant to impress upon the the viewer as well, that this is just kind of an attribute of Ayukawa, as much as the cute kind of bubbly thing is an aspect of, of Ishikaru. And so Ayukawa does admit to Kasuga in the final moments of this episode that no one ever called her cute. She's never been called cute before. The meaning here is that she's always called sexy or hot, some adjective that describes her style and physique in sexual terms or that highlight the desire that men feel for her. She feels like she's constantly this sexual object to men because of of her kind of mature nature, but that's not always how she wants to be as she demonstrates in this episode. Her whole reason for making Kasuga stay behind at Abakabu and help her out, finish up work, becomes transparent during this walk home she wants to take a crack at Kasuga as well. She wants to see if he would notice and appreciate her for the kind of cute factor, the non-physical, non-sexual kind of uh, nature of Ayukawa that makes her appealing in like a not an I want to do it with her way, but in a like this person is kind of cute sort of way. So as much as Shikaru wants to capture Ayukawa's adult-like maturity, we have in parallel Ayukawa wanting to feel like she's something other than a sex object, that she's got this sort of um, cute feminine attraction for men as well, that men want to be with her, not just because they they want to get with her, but like they but they want to be with her because there are other um, attributes to her other than her. She's got a pleasing personality. She's fun to hang out with, not just I want to get naked and do it. Shikaru's rebranding, I'll say, was very, very public. And so it it kind of contrasts that parallel um, with Ayukawa. And Ayukawa's efforts were a little bit more low-key. They were very private efforts to round out Ayukawa's own aesthetic and and uh, try to be something other than just the, the, the sex object. And this episode really highlights the natural human tendency to compare oneself with others. Oftentimes in a negative way, we discount our own strengths and we oftentimes wish that we possessed these attributes that we see and admire in others. For instance, I don't just want to be known as a genius scholar applying film theory to a decades-old anime that doesn't get its props. I don't just want to be known as a hilarious comedic voice with a cerebric wit. I don't just want to be known as a generous and enthusiastic yet tender lover. I want to be known as the host of other podcasts, including Shit Happens When You Party Naked. That is Team Almy's flagship podcast available on Patreon at patreon.com slash Team Almy. Shit Happens When You Party Naked, the entire archive as well as new episodes are published there. Uh, please go check me out. It's a comedy podcast. It's not very similar to this at all. Uh, anime is not much of a topic for us. And shit happens when you party naked, but um, you'll get other stuff. Uh, a lot more tongue-in-cheek, a lot more profanity, um, stuff like that. You can also find me on a show called Creatures of the Night. This is a truth podcast. This is a wacky, kooky, we do mushrooms and record podcast. This is not meant to be taken seriously podcast. We talk with people who think the world is flat, for Christ's sake. It's just for fun, people. Go check us out. Shit happens when you party naked. Creatures of the night, you can see us. Inner Circle Podcast Network. If you need more podcasts, I got more podcasts. That music right there, that's our tunes. 
We are the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Check out my brother and sister podcasts at innercirclepn.com. That is Plunge Podcast, Hood Diner. That is Untrained Eye, Simmons and More Podcast, Failing Hollywood. I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of Abacabu Cafe. I want to beg you guys to please subscribe. Please leave me a review. Uh, if you join the Patreon, I have uh, some pretty kick-ass jingoro pins that I got my hands on. I'm going to be sending those to the next, uh, I don't know, 15 or so, dozen or so people who join the, the Patreon. And those are wicked cool. So check us out. And we'll be doing more stuff on the Team Elmi Patreon as well. I have a bonus episode that I will be releasing uh, where I talk to... Uh, CT, my man CT from Otaku Review Podcast, and we will be uh, talking all about Orange Road in general, kind of meta conversation about what it was like to consume Orange Road here in the United States during the uh, early and mid 90s and and other anime and manga as well, and just what it's like to be an old man like us, uh, shaking our fists and yelling at clouds. So uh, please check out the Patreon for that bonus content. I'm going to keep more coming, and it's going to be great. In the meantime, I want to leave you guys with a little track that I found. This is good stuff. So we're still in the first part of the series. Our intro is still Night of Summerside, which is obviously certified bop, absolutely slaps. I don't need to tell you guys that. But I found a live uh, a live performance of um, Masanori Ikeda, and he is he's absolutely working in here. Let's go. Night of Summerside. It's a live version of Night of Summerside. I wish I could show you this video. I mean, I wish you were watching this with me right now because I got to give it to him. Masanori, this, this is how he stayed so slender and, and kept his physique. Dude is working it. Enjoy. Right 